Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Messy Situations, it's a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. So I started hanging out at Del Mar Racetrack in La Jolla, and I met this woman who was probably 50 at the time. I, you know, I hope she's still with us. She uh, was just very lonely, and I could see it in her eyes. She spoke very broken English, but long story short, had a, had more money than she knew what to do with, and I found some places to put that money, which were mostly in my pocket. Welcome back. I'm Kane Sarhan. And I'm Michelle Promaleko. And this is Messy Situations, the podcast where we break down and break through all of life's messes, always, always, always starting with ourselves. How are you? I'm great. I mean, I dodged the bullet of our producer trying to infect us with COVID. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, our last I'm recording. okay, by the way. Oh, yeah. I, how are you doing, Max? How are you feeling? How are you feeling? I'm 100% fantastic. <laughs> Morale is down, though. Morale is down. <laughs> by the way, he is five days through. He's COVID negative, but Michelle refused to step into a room with him without a mask on. Sorry, you have to. I have places to be. She has places to be, people to see. Absolutely. Men to flirt with. <laughs> exactly. And and actually, I have a wedding that I'm very much looking forward to. And I don't say that about every wedding. But that's this fair. one that's coming up this weekend is really important to me. And I didn't want it fucked up <laughs> by Mesh <laughs> or this podcast. I don't, I don't blame you. I don't want to know the messy bloodbath that would have happened. if That would have ensued if I couldn't get... I mean, we probably wouldn't be talking right now into these mics. By the way, I know. But do you know what, though, that's so fucked up is Mesh had COVID. He's now on the other side. He was very responsible. I will say he came in a mask. He was exposed. He wasn't sure. I'm just teasing him. I know. No, he was very above board. We followed all the rules. We did all the things, even though the CDC is fake. I'm just kidding, but not really. What's crazy, though, is of the three of us, I'm the one with this weird <laughs> cough, oh, and I don't even have fucking cough. Great. I'm having deja vu right now. <laughs> Fuck. No, no. I've tested 10 times. I'm not kidding. 10 times over the past six days. All negative. I think I'm being assaulted by fucking pollen. That's totally what it is. It I, is. But, like, it's insane how bad it is this year. I know. And the thing is, it's we're, we're all super paranoid. And honestly, 
again, I'm not paranoid about being super sick. I'm just paranoid about missing a <laughs> social engagement that I was really looking forward to. So I'm in the home stretch. I'm getting on that plane. I'm all good. Mesh, I am you know, worried about your health, but I know you've made it through the other side, so not so worried now. Even when I was dying, I was more nervous about you I missing the wedding that. and what would have happened to me if you did miss the wedding. I felt that from your 200 texts. How are you feeling? How are you feeling the second? Are you feeling okay? Oh, was he checking in constantly? <laughs> yes, which I appreciate very much. Oh, I that's really so do. cute. He was and more I, just like, she's going to fucking well, he kill was me. Well, he was a COVID virgin and he needed oh, to have yeah. his cherry pop. Yeah, his cherry pop. But I have to say, I'm kind of impressed with my immune system thanks to the well and all that we do and preach because I haven't had COVID since I was the OG March 2020 before vaccines before tests when you're just like oh I suddenly can't smell anything mm -hmm. okay ding 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 knock on something I haven't had it since and I've traveled and you know gone out to restaurants and been in these spaces with you two germ carriers and so far so good the so, power of supplements self-care there you go a little bit of, of healthy food <laughs> lot lots of wine, of wine <laughs> lots of wine so I have to say I'm glad that we're all healthy and can be in the room today because today's episode is I think maybe the episode I'm most excited about so far wow that's a big statement. It's a big statement, and it's for a couple reasons. One, the person we're interviewing today has been someone who's been in my life almost my whole life. And Monty has been a friend and a very close influence on my life since childhood. And so that's exciting. But what's actually most exciting is Monty has one of the most insane fucking stories you will ever hear in your entire life. So insane that I just want to let our listeners know today that we're not going to get through it in one episode. This is our first multi-parter. It is. And it's a multi-parter for a reason. One, because there's just too much mess and too much good storytelling to finish it in one episode but also because this story ends in a really good place we come full circle in this story and i think it deserves the time and the space for us to tell it properly so i'm just really excited and the theme of today's episode you know we talk a lot about sex we talk a lot about money we talk a lot about health this one covers all of that <laughs> <laughs> covers a little bit of everything to be honest but what it's about is is just a true fact that no matter what you feel or how big you think the mess is that you're in it's never too late to clean up a mess Absolutely. I mean, I've only heard snippets of the story to come and I and I obviously wanted to save it for the show. I didn't want to hear all, but it sounds kind of cinematic. Like this couldn't have actually any of these things couldn't have happened to a real person or been perpetrated by a real person. And the fact is is they've all happened to one real person and we're <laughs> and you gonna, know him. And I know him and we're and I can verify they've happened. Yay for podcast guests. And we're gonna talk to him and talk through his story and learn more right after this break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. To your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the 
we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back. We're going to dive right in because we got a lot to cover and we don't have a ton of time and, and we want to get through it. I'm going to welcome our guests and, and bring him on. We're recording remotely because Monty's a little bit of a paranoid person nowadays. Are you are you there with us? I'm here. Hi, Monty. I'm Hi, somewhere. Monty. Thank you for coming on Messy Situations. We appreciate it. We know there's going to be lots of lessons embedded in this long journey of yours. So let's dive in. I mean, Kane, maybe you can kick it off since you know where it yeah, yeah. kind of started. I, and I think it's... Well, it's a, go ahead. I was just going to say it stems from being... I have an extremely addictive behavior. And I was the kid that was four to six years old that was hanging out with the adults, that was always gleaning from the adults, that was watching Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And an early obsession, which became obviously extremely perverse, um, was an obsession with the rich and famous. You know, So I went about all the wrong ways of getting there. And of course, those things, they always blow up. Um, so there's lots of that along the way, but it started at a very young age. Where at the young age did it start? Take us back to the beginning. When do you first start remembering having that infatuation and sort of how you started reaching for it? You know, milk and cookies, watching Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous as a six or seven year old kid and raising falsified funds for D.A.R.E. as an eight year old, you know, walking door to and falsifying things, uh, wearing my D.A.R.E. shirt proud and, you know, raising 80 to to $100 up and down the street in your neighborhood. And nobody was obviously considering that that was a possibility at the time. So that fund actually worked out. You said, I just want to make sure that I'm hearing correctly, that you were falsifying bonds or whatever you were selling door to door at eight years old. Uh, oh, these weren't bonds. This was take a dare st- a bumper sticker, a couple of them, wrap them around a box, wear your dare shirt, go door to door collecting funds for dare he would pretend to be fundraising for dare as an eight-year-old go around the neighborhood collect cash and then go spend it on whatever the hell he wanted to but hold on all right so we start at eight years old falsifying funds for dare that's one of the first memories you have but monty what's crazy is you were and i've known this because we've been friends since childhood you were the most gregarious most like most friendly kid no like and so people just always trusted you Oh, absolutely. It was the gift to Gab. You know, my grandmother always said he's got a gift to Gab. But it's not just Gab. You have a gift for insane, insane information recall and a gift for obsessively learning about a topic. Yes, if I find a topic that I want to know, I will know more than everybody else. But it was always used in the wrong way. I was directing it and I was pontificating it in the wrong way for my own well-being. You know, the stories are, it's just, it's never, it was never ending cycle. So from eight years old, Gifted Gab, we're raising false funds for D.A.R.E. You end up winning into high school and, and you were quite the high school athlete, weren't you? I excelled at golf. And again, golf was something that got me closer to the rich people, quote unquote, driven by buy money, consistently hustling, you know, things of that nature, caddying or, or making sure that I was hanging out with the local cronies that were gambling on the golf course, hit it a mile. You know, I excelled at that sport. Ironically, as much as I've been a charlatan, that was the one thing that I never cheated at. Golf, I took so serious. The game and the rules of the game were just so important to me. So that was something that I actually, I never cheated at. I never stole. And again, we'll get into this and, and you're kind of aware. I'm not the kind of guy that in the past would steal from you, go through your underwear drawer and take 
$10,000. That wasn't it. It was always a hustle to get there. No, yeah, and, and I'll say, listen, Monty's lived with me for years at a time. I could leave cash around the house. It never went anywhere. Monty has had access to my stuff. Not a single thing. What has happened since a young childhood is it's always been outside, right? So it's always been people who are outside the circle, not inside the circle. And are those targets, are they people that you identified as like having more than you or entitlement or something to spare or... How did you seek out the people that you would swindle? The number one rule was always, and it's kind of a self-taught rule, was to glean from their interests, you know, which is a, a sign of, you know, you're able to build them up. I mean, it's it's very psychological. Everything is. I mean, it's all psychological. Were those techniques, those psychological techniques, endearing yourself to people, making them think you were in the same knowledge circle? Because in some ways you were, having studied up and been a quick study on things. What would you say some of the things were that you did either innately or just through strategy to get close to these people? And the first part is, you know, it's actually perfect before we go into that is we're going to set you up into the story because I have the perfect example. So Monty from eight to 18 is pulling little town high school shit. You know what I mean? He was the high school drug dealer because he could get anything from anyone. He worked at a pharmacy. So all the shit that we wanted, Monty got without question. He was the the kid who could somehow always get us the booze when we needed it no matter where we were or how we were but there was always an upcharge to it because he was always hustling he was the kid who was never in class you sort of were sort of wondering how the hell he was still there always out on something but at 18 Monty decides to do something that blows all of our minds and this is where we really hit an inflection point in what you're talking about and how he started honing his craft you want to take us from 18 on Absolutely. So walking around one day and decide I'm going to be a Navy man. I just watched Men of Honor, became extremely close with the local Navy recruiter, signed up, decided to put everything into it. And that was the start of a career that was uh, destined for some very great things and obviously did not get there because... There was so much falsification to the, but, but, but the journey was interesting to say the least. And we can definitely talk about that. It started out as I became, again, that addictive behavior comes into play and you, and you be, you want to be the best and, and you're going to be the best at everything. So I became obsessed with military, my ability to do things in boot camp, at speaking engagements, at marches, things of that nature were unlike anything they've ever seen. These are vice admirals, et cetera. And then I ended up in Japan. Monty, what you're saying, though, I just want to make sure I'm clear, is that you joined the military in earnest after seeing, you know, kind of movies that inspired you to be an officer, right? This was not, you didn't go in with ill intention. You went in sort of wanting to do it. You excelled at it and you could have channeled that into maybe a storied career of a serviceman, but then it took a detour. Yeah, well, and there was, I mean, the walls had started to cave in at my life at that time, too. I had gotten in some trouble here and there, nothing big, but, you know, the walls were caving in. And so it was a decision that was also made with not too many other options that looked very enticing that didn't include, you know, living in a cage for a few months. So that was the ultimate kicker. And then once I started to embrace the traditions and the histories and things of that nature, you know, I just, I went full bore. I separated myself from everyone. But in order to keep 
keep that grift going and we'll get there. I just expanded to the extreme. Extreme. And and this is what it is. So to fill it in for color, Monty owed a local drug dealer some cash and had to join the military to get out of Dodge. This is true. <laughs> so so he joined the military being like, peace out. I got to get out of town. This is my fastest way out. But when he got there, he became the top performing recruit in his whole class. Graduated top of his class from his boot camp had first pick of jobs when they were done because like he said, addictive personality, if I gotta be here, I'm gonna be fucking better than everyone. And Monty, you said after boot camp, you ended up getting placed in Japan. What was your job in Japan and, and, and what were you doing there? So what originally happened was, is so I, you know, graduated top recruit of all time, et cetera, blah, 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 award, award, award. And then went to A school, graduated and went over. And as soon as I landed in Japan, it was right after, it was 9-17-2001. And we know what had just happened on 9-11. So it was an immediate, you know, get on the aircraft carrier, head to the Persian Gulf, see what happens. We only were deployed for about 25, 26 days, came back to Japan. And I had, as a common trend, started to glean and kind of connect myself with the leaders of the base, the leaders of the platoon, you know, the squadron, etc. And those things opened up a plethora of doors. You're going to the Naval Academy, you're going to Citadel, you're going to be a blue and gold officer, this, that, and the other. But then as that continued to go, it had to get more outlandish to continue to stay afloat. When you say outlandish, what it was is you were performing at a high level, but you were supplementing the performance with stories and like falsified history. Yeah, I was just in insane just insane military bearing i mean i stood at attention i slept at parade rest you know it was a, it was a constant imagery thing they made me a petty officer third class faster than anybody in the history of the navy etc and then we dived into the service then we dived into the service report and that's when things started to get a little squeaky and when you say get a little squeaky what do you mean what started happening well i had this time the walls had begun to cave in a little bit and everybody was kind of getting home to the fact that it was kind of all a facade etc and that was when I decided to start a story that my father was a senator. Again, this is pre-internet, Michelle, so remember, it was a lot easier to do these things. He was a senator, and it just so happened that John McCain and George W. Bush were touring Asia, and I came up with this elaborate scheme that they were going to stop at VF-154 and at Tsugi, Japan, and for two days, this entire facility was just spit spot shot etc and finally the vice admiral found out that they actually didn't know who i was so you are in the navy and you falsify a story that john mccain and george h bush are coming to your ship the naval officers believe you so they prepare for their visit and get the whole ship ready and it isn't till the day of when they don't show that they decide to check and see if your story is true that is 100% true. And actually, I buckled right before they did their due diligence and just went to Captain Gant, who was a carrier wing five commander and somebody who just absolutely adored me and just said, uh, they're not going to make it. And he went, what do you mean? And then that's where it all started to turn into a, a big problem. The reason that I'm quiet right now is because my jaws kind of on the floor at your audacity and like, I don't know, like false bravado or whatever you call it. But like, in a way, it kind of feels a bit self-destructive because you knew you couldn't perpetuate that lie, Absolutely. right? 
like you were clearly like seeing how far you could take it. It almost feels to me like hearing it for the first time that you were getting a high off of like getting people to believe these tall tales and they were. Oh, absolutely. And you won't hurt my feelings. You know, it was definitely narcissistic supply, especially once you've been getting stroked to the extreme at such a young age. I'm not making excuses. I was a complete asshole clown. But at the same time, I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, that build that up that you got to fight down. And what pains me to look back at it too, is that just, it was such a little petty things that I did to be able to convince, you know, it was the shiniest boots. It was the deepest creases. It was the standing at attention. It was the best salute. It was, you know, so it was those things rather than performance-based because at that point I wasn't doing, you know, and we're going to get to this a lot in my life too, where I'm not really doing anything, but I'm doing things. What that says to me, Monty, which applies to our world today, is how important optics are and that you figured that out early on, right? You figured out all of those outward imagery things would cast this glow that didn't cause people to dig much deeper into the performance aspect. It is crazy when it's like... Monty, it's like after you start, you're blowing things up, obviously, like time is running out at a certain point, you're discovered. And then if you're discovered as falsifying or I don't know, straight out lying, falsifying, what happens to you in the military? (laughs) Isn't there something bad that happens? That's what we're always taught. Well, yeah, absolutely. Because at some point, you know, you run out of rope and you end up hanging yourself. And, you know, looking back, because I haven't talked about this in a while. So even just looking back, I one of the other things that I think that I took advantage of was the fact that in that instance, too, is when you make it to the fleet, you know, you get lazy, you get complacent. Now you're just doing your job and you don't have to do all those things you were taught leading up to going to the fleet. So to be able to keep those standards so high, they overlook it because they hadn't seen anything like it. Then what I started to do was I just started to hang out in Rapungi every night and completely derelict all duties. You know, then we're going to Chiefs Mass and Court Martial and things of that nature. But in another just twist of events, they left. They got, my squadron got deployed to go to the Middle East and I was left behind with a couple of old chiefs and they just let me run. What do you mean they let you run? They just let me go out in town and I didn't have to just wear uniform like you're supposed to when you're on restriction. It was a great time. So wait, so you're telling me you get caught in this lie and instead of being punished, you basically are allowed to just party your fucking face you off get in a ju- Japan. Like you get a hall pass while everybody's deployed and you're just like partying it up. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and those guys were just doing their thing. So Monty, what happens when you get busted by the military for lying? Take us through the sort of proceedings and how you end up separating. Well, yeah. So basically what they did was because falsifying the event that didn't take place, even though, I mean, with the commander in chief, you would think it would be of more severity was kind of a slap on the wrist. But my actions after that, because I was on a zero standard policy and I was just going to Rapungi and partying and stuff, they ended up getting me for, you know, I I tested positive for everything under the sun and they were randomly doing it. I knew it was coming. And then, you know, I was like really tight with the master chief that ran our squadron and he kind of wanted it because everything was so wishy-washy. And so he was the one that actually helped me get my separation done in a humanitarian discharge, which is not dishonorable or other than honorable. It just basically means this didn't work. 
<laughs> it's not great, but that's what they summed it up as. And I was one of the first few to get that. They do them all the time now, but back in the day, they didn't really do those. Right. So Monty, let me just jump in and say that based on everything we've heard about like your dereliction of duty and your drug use and your falsifying your own credentials, plus your relationship with, you know, the commander in chief, George, George W. Bush and John McCain. And at the end of it all, you get a humanitarian discharge, which is not a dishonorable discharge, and you just kind of skate, which tells me that you are supremely talented, obviously for better or worse, at getting away with a lot of shit. And we're going to hear about more of what you've gotten away with over the years right after this. We've just been humanitarily discharged from the military. Where do you go or where do they send you? Oh, so separation was in uh, San Diego. Not a bad place to land, Southern California. Oh, yeah. Very fortunate. And the way it works is because for all the other shipmates, etc., that were there on dishonorable or other than honorable, obviously, they're still on restriction. They can't leave base, etc. But because I've got a humanitarian, they were allowing me to run the roads and do everything. And I had to be at lineups every once in a while, but it was pretty much a vacation. You know, I was uh, still obsessed with money, still obsessed with people that looked as if they had wealth, whether they did or didn't. And, uh, I went, you know, for lack of a better term and don't want to disrespect anyone, I went cougar hunting in La Jolla. You went cougar hunting in La Jolla. Unfortunately. So, but like so, rich cougars, right? Rich cougars, like not but, poor cougars. Yeah. I was running with another guy from North Carolina. I can't even remember his name now. And he was just big on going to the Indian casinos. So we would just go to casinos. And he was like, probably 10, 15 years older than me and had his shit together, was not affiliated with the military at all. I'd met him out in town, as we call it. And so I just started running with him. And that was uh, that was a good time for a while until it was time to leave. And how did your cougar hunting go? I'm pretty sure you nailed one and, and you nailed a pretty big score in the process, no? I did. Um, so I started hanging out at Del Mar Racetrack in La Jolla. And I met this woman who was probably 50 at the time. I, you know, I hope she's still with us she uh was just very lonely and i could see it in her eyes she spoke very broken english but long story short had a had more money than she knew what to do with and i found some places to put that money which were mostly in my pocket oh my, <laughs> oh my god, god. <laughs> so the other thing about monty that we need to introduce that is a pivotal point he has the gift of the gab he has the gift of the dick. Okay, too. I was gonna say, <laughs> where did she think her money was going? She wanted to be in your pants, but she didn't think her money was going in your pants. The thing was, is I needed a couple of players to help me kind of get there. So, of course, I recruited the best options I could find at the base to kind of run with me a little bit, dress up a little nicer, etc. But this one really stings looking back at it because this one, instead of, you know, something exotic and romantic, I again fell back Michelle into that role of the prince you know again the prince the family's got this the family's got that and then I used and I'm not even 21 at the time and I told her I said you know my family doesn't believe that you're in love with me I they need to see it and wow. unfortunately she proved it and she proved it with a very specific sum of money yeah 
Yeah, it was 30, 30K. 30K. So Just deposited it in your bank account. No, Carl Tug Cash. Took it right out of the bank on multiple occasions and brought it right to me. I mean, again, I, it's, it's, I am so... I'm so sorry about that. But we're talking about this and we're going to get to the part that's good. So that's the thing. You get 30 grand in cash. You're separated from the military. You're officially humanitarily discharged. And you say, you know what? I'm going to go home and I'm going to get my cash and I'm going to run. Were you planning to clean up your act at this point? Were you like, okay, enough is enough. I've had my fun. I skated out of the military without being jailed. And now I'm just going to go home and get my shit together. Is that what was in your head? Or you're like, oh, I'm just getting started. No, I think I got off the plane the next day, went and bought a $3,000 set of golf clubs. I mean, just zero, just zero understanding for any of it. And, And I went back to playing golf every day. And have you told your family like, hey, I'm out of the military now or did you like like how do you you know you you're in the military your ass was in japan oh no i drove that on for for a year so what are you doing so you roll in you got all this money you got these golf courts you left as like a broke 18 year old who was running from a drug dealer you've come back with a stack of cash from california what are you saying to your family like what is your game what is your plan right now like what are you doing I'm on leave and I'm headed to the Citadel Military Academy after the summer. So do you just like stay low profile at home or hang out or like how do you spend your summer? Just blowing money like crazy as a 20 year old kid being an absolute buffoon and then i went on a uh, road trip with my high school best friend and stayed in the plaza hotel and just i mean everything see when you don't work for the money people don't understand it, it doesn't mean anything to you so that's the thing about scamming like that's why they all get caught that's why we all i've gotten caught and we're gonna get there you know what i mean you always get caught because the money doesn't mean anything to you so you just piss it away and you go on to the next move it's it's not a good way to live yeah and when you're throwing money around at that age it's like you tend to attract the hangers-on right who are just gonna sponge off of you so you're just throwing caution to the wind letting the money on fire you're having a good time but you weren't actually going to the citadel that was like never a thing and so where are you going when the money runs out so we're back to the same scenario. Okay, walls are caving in. Everybody's asking questions. And oh, by the way, I've just had a summer that was absolutely bad. So I think I was down to like $2,800, something like that, like three grand. And I said, uh, I get my stepdad to drive me to the train station because I'm going to go to Boston. I said, I no, because over the summer, I forgot this part. It went from I was going to the Citadel, and I hope I don't offend any of your guys' friends. I'm sure a bunch of them. But now I'm going to Suffolk. Suffolk. Boston. Oh, you're switching. I'm you're going switching to Suffolk. to Suffolk. Okay, got it. Because my other best friend from high school in my small town was going to Harvard. So I'm like, all right, I can get to Boston. And, you know, I'm 20, so I'm stupid. So I'm thinking, oh, he's in college. He'll be able to help me. You know what I mean? No, of course not. But so my stepdad ultimately takes me to the train station, of course. And I take this train from middle America up to Boston. And I'm just totally at my wits end. You know, I mean, I'm just running out of money and uh, college buddies. You know, like, I can't help you. My parents are barely able to hang on. And so then I am down to just about nothing but some checks and a checkbook. And I'm like, I got to get out of here. So I end up calling two guys that I had served with who still think I'm in, by the way. And they were in Newport News, Virginia Beach area. And so I ended up taking a train from Boston on the run down to them and showed up there with like literally no money and just a checkbook to write checks that were worthless. And I remember this summer well. 
you also had one of the most insane wardrobes I had ever seen in my entire life. Oh, yeah. And that's the other thing, Michelle. It's always been about clothes, too. So, you know, when I'm as flush as I can be on these runs, you know, it's Palzolari suit. It's the best of the best. It's Sylvain Rowe. You know, the whole night, I just, that's, that's been an addiction since I was a kid until now. Now, now I just shop at Target because now that I make real money, I, you know, I'm frugal, cheap, and paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's all part of the optics, right? It's like the believability of the story. And it's Absolutely. like, and the part about you going to stay with your ex military buds who didn't think you were ex military at that point just kind of shows that the military is the gift that keeps on giving in a way to you at this point because there's a community there, right? And there's a Loyalty and a camaraderie that you're leveraging in order to stay in their place and bounce checks. And so, and this is where we're at. We're going to end today. Where we're at with Monty is we are 20 years old. We have conned the military. Successfully. Successfully. We have conned a wealthy woman in California out of 30 grand in cash. We've had the summer of our lives, but we are broke with a suitcase full of fancy clothes and a checkbook that just bounces left, right, and center. And a need for a new plan. Absolutely. We'll get to that new plan in the next chapter of this long journey and multi-part episode of Messy Situations. Wow. Messy Situations is a production of Lola Media and is produced and engineered by Riley McCaskill with assistant producer Mesh Lakani.